it's actually been thought that due to the invention of the plow, it may have prevented us from going into another ice age. Because <laughs> oh it jump-started climate. <laughs> so April. crazy. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's probably that's it's insane. the funnest of facts. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very fun fact. <laughs> from Alda, this is the Protect Your Wild podcast. A show about founders, athletes, and influencers, and how their passion for the environment led to their actions and career paths today. I'm Colin Campbell, and this week we got a throwback interview for you with Brandon Welch, who is running the Colorado Carbon Fund. They allow individuals and businesses to offset their carbon footprint through different projects they got going on. Keep in mind, this was one of the first interviews that we did, so the audio quality is kind of shitty. But the content is still great, and you'll learn a lot this episode. Um, keep in mind, you should check out aldalifestyle.com for our blogs, and remember to subscribe if you want discounts on cool shit. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy. Hey, how's it going today? Good, sweet. It goes well. Uh, so, Colin, how do you know uh, Brandon? Um, yeah, I actually met him at this like startup meetup. Was it? Yeah, yeah, down in uh, niche mm-hmm. or niche, however niche, niche. people like to pronounce it nowadays. Yeah, yeah, and I was. Uh, they they had everybody kind of like stand up and say like, oh, what you're doing entrepreneurially, and I, I kind of said what Aldo was, and then basically they're both doing environmental stuff. Um, so we got talking after, and you know, obviously had a bunch of stuff in common because of that. Um, yeah, and just kind of hit it off from there. And he's been helping us with a lot of ideas and stuff. And um, as you see, Colorado Carbon Fund is on Alda's site that people can, when you order, offset your purchase uh, through that. So that's kind of how that, that came about. Yeah, I think at that point, um, they had had everyone do their introductions. And then they said, if you want to have an ask at the end, do so. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was still looking for a job. Oh yeah, back in September at that meeting. Okay, and then you, I think you announced something about all the, and yeah, it was just we just walked over and started talking. Yeah, that's how it that's started. Bolder. That's a very that's bolder, like, Yeah, <laughs> having so many environmentally driven people here, I think, mm-hmm. is is obviously one of the great benefits of being in Colorado in general. But Boulder specifically, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Definitely, even just something like a meetup. You don't find that in many other places. I find right. where people are. Gonna, I never heard of it before. 50 people are going to just meet up and talk about entrepreneurship. Whatever the, or... Yeah, whatever. What, what even was the talk that night? Was it? About, uh, I feel like was it about office culture? Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and yeah. how that can define an entire company. And, right, right. And such. It's fascinating. I mean. Oddly enough, I've only been to like three meetups since then. Um, even though every one I've met somebody that was like a good, you know, contact friend or whatever, and yet I'm still like too lazy or whatever to get out there. It's mm-hmm. weird. Um, but yeah, so I guess tell us a little bit like, hey, where are you from? How'd you get here? And uh, where are you up to now? So I'm from West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, uh, which is just a small little. Small little farm town. Um, and when I say small town, it's about 5,000 people. But what's strange about southeastern mm-hmm. Massachusetts is it was developed. You know, it's been developed for hundreds of years now. So right, every right. town just kind of seamlessly 
integrates into the next. So you can't tell whether you're in West Bridgewater or Brockton or Bridgewater or any of the other surrounding towns. And it's just kind of a hodgepodge of neighborhoods. Does that have like a lot of historic kind of buildings and stuff? Not quite. No? You kind of got to go out of your way to find those. Right. Uh, There's some specific towns that have some like Hingham. Um, My uncle lives out there and if they even want to paint their house, they have to ask for permission uh, (laughs) from the town itself. Yeah, because I think most of them have just been knocked down over time. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, from there, kind of grew up uh, with not much to do, you know, just hanging out with friends, trying to... Yeah, like Gainesville. <laughs> yeah, it. it's probably very similar <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and then I, you know, it was time to go to college, and I just applied all over the place. Yeah. Um, mostly in the Northeast. I was considering going West, but it was just a little too much money at the time. Um, right, right. Had gotten into UVM, and... Uh, few other schools, but went to UVM for kind of the admitted students day, walked around for the day. And I just decided right there, I was like, this is the school that I'm going to, even though I had yet to hear from, you know, Northeastern, BU, all of those big schools in the city and such. And Mm -hmm. really happy I made that decision because that was kind of the shift from, you know, I had always had a tendency to like the outdoors and support the environment and such, but there was just that something inside me that made me want to go to UVM, just that like kind of urge that I had to go follow. Um, so I went there, started studying mechanical engineering. Actually, I did that for a year and a half. So put myself through all the, the brutal classes, (laughs) classes. physics one, two up to calc three and Uh, thermo, uh, you know, statics and all those brutal classes, but decided I was not interested in crunching numbers uh for the rest of my life or digging into the weeds too much i think i'm more of a generalist more of an overarching like systems thinker in a way rather than big picture yeah Yeah. big picture so i'd gotten i was just kind of at this point where i wanted to make a change and i wasn't sure what that was so i just you know went on google and started searching (laughs) around different degrees and such yeah and it kind of came between two totally different ends of the spectrum. I either wanted to go into economics or environmental science (laughs) for some odd reason. And I decided to go with environmental science. Um, and I was diving into it and and then, um, and then I went on a big hike right after I had switched my major and before I had Mm -hmm. started the new major, you know, just like officially switched it within the school. I, uh, went on the hike, the long trail for three weeks. It took 23 days with Oh, that's uh, sick. Yeah, with a few of my buddies from UVM and just kind of fell in love with, with the earth and, yeah. you know, trees. Was and that kind of the, the defining moment there? Or did you have any, like, things from your earlier childhood that, that kind of led to your environmental or being drawn to the environment, you know? Uh, so growing up, we'd always go and visit New Hampshire, my family and I. Um, go, you know, skiing, snowboarding, fishing. Mm. And then we had a cabin up there uh, for quite a while. Just a nice. you know, great way to go up there. Get away from people, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like one weekend a month or so. So it'd be nice to go up there and get outdoors. But yeah. I, I never really had a defining moment, moment of sorts. It was always, I feel like it just slowly built itself right, up right. to then just being strong enough for me to switch my major to environmental science and then yeah. going on that hike just really confirmed it all. Right. Like, right. you know, it's like I had that moment and then I was starting in the environmental science degree and I just, that's where I got my motivation. I got my strength to 
you know, just push through and really delve into that degree and, mm-hmm. you know, came out still not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I wanted <laughs> to work. Every college student is like, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that I had a similar experience, I think, where uh, it was always a part of my life, but I didn't realize how big really until I had my moment was kind of like in high school that I had my first environmental science class where I, I kind of realized like, oh, all, all my childhood and stuff, I had the most fun when I was out in nature and I loved it without realizing it. And then when it came time to to do a real thing with your life, when you're in that moment trying to like figure out what you're going to study, what you're going to grow up to be, I was like, what do I want to have the most impact on? And having the environment there for my kids is basically like what it came down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just something bigger than yourself. Exactly, yeah. And I think that was largely like the reason I wanted to get out too. I just pictured pictured my life like did I want to be in an office on a computer constantly just trying to make up new designs drafting blueprints whatever it would be Mm -hmm. or could I be you know outside meeting people just having that like different lifestyle and that's that's definitely what I was aiming for um yeah so just thinking of that long-term vision you know yeah absolutely I need a shift but really really happy I made that decision for yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. I, I think yeah. it's a not only a noble path to go down, but uh, uh, for yourself, like a fulfilling one. You know, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah, I guess it is kind of noble in the sense that you know, knowing where the Earth stands right now with climate change and the beliefs of certain groups of people. Yeah, extremely more more than we like, of course, more people than we like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's from what I've heard, mostly an American thing. That's what's good, yeah. In most other yeah. countries, it's just an undeniable fact, and you look like a fool if you don't believe in climate change. That's so wild, man. <laughs> yeah, at what's least in first world <laughs> What I mean, is yeah. wrong with us? <laughs> Avanash, I'm curious, did you have, like, uh, I guess before you moved here in, in South Africa, did yeah. you have any of those, like, you know, realizations when, when you, like, culturally, I guess, when you got here? Um, yeah, actually, I found it really interesting. <laughs> that people can have wrong opinions and stand so strongly about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wrong is in it's not like, dude, there's a fact and you're trying to tell me this is not a fact. It's a fact, man. (laughs) Yeah, they'll defend their opinion like it's fact. Um, And and I do find, I don't say it's like American culture, but just being argumentative about your opinion is just promoted, I think. Uh, It's seen as, you know, you know, you feel strongly about it and whatever, and even though it's completely wrong. It's like mm-hmm. the fact says, you know, you know, the earth is dying, climate change is real. Now nah, I don't care. They're just like, nah, it's fake. You know, it's fake news or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, they, they defend, um, I don't know, just an opinion that's mm-hmm. not correct. Yeah, opinion, so, that the foundation of that opinion is based off of, lies like things that are not true that's mm-hmm. what's so wild yeah so uh, it's so deep-rooted in our i think it's really deep-rooted in our culture because americans have always gotten what we want whether that's oh we're gonna yeah, go yeah take over you know the this chunk of land across the sea right or 
go bomb some countries and not have any repercussions <laughs> right, for manipulate, it. Or... Basically do a lot of that political manipulation for mm-hmm. foreign affairs and all that stuff. It's wild. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, now obviously you're in Boulder, uh, doing stuff with the Colorado carbon fund and tell kind of that whole story of how, how that even came about. Cause it's pretty, uh, pretty unique, I think. Yeah. So to start, uh, my girlfriend and I were in Vermont and we had intended to move out West somewhere after she graduated. We're really sure where that would be. So we kind of just had a list of places that we wanted to check out. And we went mm-hmm. on a big road trip for, about three months. Uh, Boulder was the first stop. And that, during that time, I'd actually wanted to start a podcast myself. Nice. So I went out, I bought some of the gear and I had kind of done some research on who I wanted to interview and such. And when I was in Boulder during that first week, I had connected with Brad Smith of Boulder County. He's uh, one of the sustainability, mm-hmm. he's a sustainability implementation and communication strategist, something along those lines. And I had connected with some people over there. They connected me with Brad and I went in and did an interview with him. And we talked about the e-bike program and the Nissan Leaf program and such. Um, and then, you know, recorded the podcast. We left Boulder. Uh, we were looking for, you know, a place to live and went up the coast of, from Boulder, um, into Utah and then up the coast of California and up to Oregon and, uh, Washington. And then by the time we were in Washington, we had decided that we were going to move back to Boulder. (laughs) Yeah. So we're in Washington. I had started emailing, uh, some people that I had met out here, uh, potential people that I was going to interview for the podcast. And I was just kind of, you know, asking, have you heard of any job openings? Could you point me in the right direction? Mm -hmm. And Brad Smith sent me an email the guy that I had interviewed, he, he sent me one for an internship at NCS. So what is, what is NCS? NCS is uh, natural capitalism solutions. It's a nonprofit only 20 minutes up the road in Longmont, Colorado started by uh, Hunter Lovins in 2004. It's kind of functioned as a whole bunch of uh, different, it, it, it's changed its role over the years from, you know, environmental consulting to housing other nonprofits under its umbrella to morphing right now into um, actually an intern program where they're going to support graduate students to go into businesses and offer sustainability consulting for free. Dude, that's Um, like my dream internship right there. That would have been so sweet. Yeah, it would have been so sweet. (laughs) So they've morphed uh, to a whole bunch of different, through different phases. But um, I applied to this internship, uh, ended up doing the interview with Isabel over Skype, who's the kind of accounting and general administrative person as well as an environmental consultant. There, there's not too many people that work at NCS, so she picks up, wears yeah, a lot of hats. Wear a lot of hats, right. Um, did the interview with her in Jackson, Jackson Hole in Wyoming. Uh, she hired me on the spot. So then I went, we moved to Boulder with, you know, I at least had an internship. Lily was kind of looking, looking for an internship or a job. She wasn't really sure yet. Uh, we set up a bunch of viewings for, houses. I think we did nine in one day, uh, ended up getting one right away. Like I think it was the fourth or fifth one. (laughs) Yeah. Got the spot, moved in the next day, started my internship at NCS. Um, and that's, you know, that involves doing all your normal intern duties and then, which is mostly environmental consulting work for a couple of clients that they had at the time. And then they recommend that you have like a side project of sorts. So yeah, they have all these different projects that are kind of just 
sitting there waiting for someone to pick them up. Uh, the Colorado Carbon Fund was one of them at the time. Um, there was someone running it about a year beforehand, mm-hmm. um, but then it just kind of lay dormant. Uh, they hadn't hired anyone on to run it. So it was just kind of sitting there. It looks like a pretty good opportunity, even though everyone was telling me, oh, yeah, it's dead. Uh, you, you know, you can't do anything with that. Uh, good luck trying. It's like, I don't man, know. I don't know. Hate, this man. has got some potential All to it. All these haters. Yeah, so I kind of dug, <clears throat> dug into that a little bit and ended up getting really interested by it. So then I wrote, yeah. a, wrote a business plan, and then I pitched it to the NCS team. Um, I got hired. They they thought my business plan was, I guess, up to par. It was definitely ambitious. Um, yeah, well, it's an ambitious business plan. Why would you not sure. be ambitious? You know, <laughs> you gotta shoot high. You gotta shoot exactly. high. So yeah, I shot high. I got got the job, and now I've been running the CCF since about late October, early November of 2017. So we're about about seven months in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going really well. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and so what is the, the connection exactly between, uh, CCF and natural capital solutions? Is it, is, is the carbon fund, I guess, owned by natural capital? Or? So we use, they're a fiscal sponsor of the Colorado carbon fund. So okay. natural capitalism solutions has the 501 C three, you know, charitable status. And then, we are a project of NatCap, so we can use their nonprofit status ah. and kind of operate as our own little entity. They have a okay. variety of other organizations that do that as well under them. Right, right. Okay, let's see. Yeah, so it's it's great to have you know the connections of NCS, especially Hunter. Um, right. She's she is an awesome public speaker. Specifically, she's very inspirational and can talk to anybody about anything and Dad, get them all jazzed her. up. Yeah, she'll, she'll get you excited yeah. for sure. Yeah, it needs um, a need a little boost, you know. Mm-hmm. You get you get working in the in a house or remotely or whatever all day, mm-hmm. having some people to kind of light a fire under your ass would be nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always it's it's a uh, a great perk of the CCF as well. Like I, you know, if I'm writing a proposal for a business of sorts, well. You can go and meet Hunter, and, or she could speak at an event that you have. Um, right, right. It's like an asset, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. So we're actually hosting this big event in July, um, July 24th, aligned with Outdoor Retailer. And oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, I'll be there too, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, it's called the, uh, <laughs> the Green Industry Fair. So it's going to be connecting the cannabis industry with the outdoor retail industry and the CCF is kind of going to be the, the focal point of that. That's so but, great. you know, the whole idea that got that really going was talking with an event planning company and they had kind of asked, well, if we host an event, can Hunter speak? So, okay. Well, yeah, she, she can, of course. <laughs> right, right. I'll, I'll definitely have to make that. I, how, how like Colorado to do like a combo event with the outdoor industry and mm-hmm. weed like <laughs> yeah exactly that's so funny so i don't know what it's going to be like in there if you're going to be having to wear a smoke mask or something, <laughs> yeah, you in, everybody's blazing up and you're yeah. like uh i can't even see my notebook guys how am i going to take notes <laughs> square in the room yeah exactly um, yeah so it was kind of just a random random little adventure but I guess I brought up uh, Brad at Boulder County just because mm-hmm. it was just funny to come full circle from him 
sending or interviewing him at the podcast to him sending me that internship application to now I'm actually working with Boulder County on a couple of projects. And he's, you know, I go like we have conversations often about the projects and I just get to pick his brain and such. And now we're kind of working together. Right. Dude, that's the best going from basically like, yeah, like the position of need where you're like, I'm looking for a job. I'm trying to do this and that. Mm So now you're, you know, kind of on the same or you're sitting together, working together, you know, mm-hmm. brainstorming, everything like that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a pretty cool story. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's ambitious in the first place to, to see this project and, and, and kind of see the value in uh, carbon offsets, basically, and then take it on your own shoulders to be like, hey, I'm pretty sure I can make this this thing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't have, not only like don't have the like confidence to do that, but the it takes a little bit of courage to, to take up what people are telling you is a losing battle, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it does. I, I just think of it, um, in a way of, you know, what's the worst, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> right. What's the other alternative? It just seems like all upside to me. Right. Yeah. You it's know, opportunity. The worst thing is I take a part-time job and then I use that money to pay my rent while I work on some other project. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, well, the worst case scenario, I guess, is like Homeless. living on the street <laughs> yeah. in Boulder in front of the Chautauqua Park, one of the most beautiful places in the country. I mean, it's true. It's you know, like, how bad is it? You yeah. know, there are so many worse things in life. One of the best happen. homeless places, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. People are giving. <laughs> we have a guy, actually, that's on the corner. I don't know if you saw him driving in, but every day that we drive out, he has a sign that he holds. It just says like, I think it just says be happy and has like a smiley face on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he just points it and gives a thumbs up to like every car. <laughs> and, uh, I think that dude makes bank. Honestly, he's wearing a North face jacket when it was yeah. cold. I was like, I don't even have like a, you know, a puffy jacket yet. It's ridiculous. The boulder homeless. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the boulder homeless have like better brands and like 95% of other. It's a weird place, man. Yeah. I think I saw someone wearing uh Danner boots the other day. Like, what are you doing? I'm, like I'm saving up for those. Right. <laughs> it's such a bizarre place. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I guess what, what kind of projects do you guys get going on? Yeah. So a couple of, a couple of different projects, uh, that are the, the main focus right now, I guess three projects, uh, mm-hmm. start. So number one is the license plate program. So the CCF, the Colorado carbon fund kind of has this really unique niche in the sense that we have a license plate that we sell to individuals in Colorado who offset the emissions of their vehicle. So mm-hmm. it's it's pretty hard to to get that license plate, uh, to get the ability to sell that because it actually has right. to go through on a bill uh, through the house and actually be passed, you know, by the, the big government right. um, peoples. So the CCF was started back in 2008. Um, by the governor at the time and because oh, he was okay. you know in there working with the senate and congress and everybody um that could make those decisions up, was like, kind of able to just send it right through i think damn. so that that's Earth what man. really provided and still provides the ccf with um a sustainable source of income to support 
certain mm-hmm. projects that reoccurring um, revenue yeah, that, yeah to getting important those in any donors. business model <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah you want to have that sustainable base yeah. <laughs> to keep you yeah. afloat um so, so when you say that the vehicle offsets its emissions do you mean like an electric vehicle or is it through you know other means uh like you know the household or something like that like the household has solar power or something like that um, so what I mean by offsets emissions is it could be either a gas-powered vehicle or an electric vehicle. What you do is if you go on our website, um, you can type in the MPGs of the vehicle and how far you've driven in the past year, and then that will calculate the amount of emissions that were released from your vehicle. So gasoline uh, or diesel or any type of uh, liquid fuel specifically releases a certain amount of CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide per gallon that is burned. So when you put in MPGs and the amount of miles you've driven, you can calculate, the system will calculate how many gallons are burned and then convert that to metric tons of carbon equivalent. So you have this number of carbon and then we have these projects that we've invested to in in the past and into the future that sequester or reduce or stop a certain amount of carbon emissions from being released into the atmosphere. So when you go on our website and you see your car emitted, say, five metric tons of CO2, you offset it, which essentially you're paying for a certificate that was produced from a project that quantifiably reduced a certain amount of carbon from the atmosphere. Okay, so, so you're balancing so it, out. Yeah, so you're, like ba- you're balancing out. Without owning a Tesla or something like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're balancing out the net emissions in the atmosphere. So your car releases emissions. These projects remove the emissions from the atmosphere. Now, you can also do that with an electric vehicle. Um, In the calculator that we have, it has an MPGE option. Um, And when you buy a car, like a Nissan Leaf, it'll show you the MPGE uh, value. And it'll show you basically... You know, if you say your car uses 10 kilowatt hours or whatever it may be, what that is equivalent to in emissions. So it might be Mm -hmm. your MPG might be like 96 or, you know, 120 miles per gallon, something ridiculous because electricity is a lot more efficient uh, than actually burning fuel. You know, like electric cars are 80 percent efficient in general, while a gas powered car is only 20 percent efficient. It's just able to use a lot more. It's able to use that energy more effectively. Uh, but it can go either way. Yeah. I mean, obviously the goal is having an electric car with solar panels to, to power that. Then you're self-sustaining. Yeah, yeah. Self-sustaining. Exactly. So one thing that surprised me was actually like how much it costs to offset. Cause when you say like metric tons or whatever of, of emissions, it sounds like an insane amount. And, and the first thought is like, wow, that must be like really expensive to offset, but mm-hmm. it was like pretty reasonable. Yeah. So the majority of the offsets we have right now are from a methane capture station and methane over a hundred year period is 34 times more powerful than CO2 at warming the atmosphere. Mm. So this methane capture station, essentially it just collects, um, you know, the methane being released from organic matter decaying within a landfill. So it's just per dollar, a lot more efficient to invest in something like a methane capture station to receive, to reduce emissions versus, say, a, a grassland, for example, um, just because, 
you have all that organic matter collected in one right, space. It's all going into the it's atmosphere, all basically, the atmosphere. right? It's all collecting up there. So why not be as effective as you can, basically, in, in what you choose to to eliminate? Yeah. So there's kind of both sides to that coin, which is you have the effectiveness of like methane capture, but it doesn't have the the impact on land use or the story behind right, it. Right. You know, it's it's planting trees is the big one that you see a lot, right? Yeah, planting trees is is great. People understand it. People know that trees absorb carbon from right, the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. People, simple. That's why. That's simple. what makes it work. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. Plant a tree. Now there's a tree. There wasn't a tree. Now there's a tree. Yeah. That tree absorbing bad stuff. Mm-hmm. People are like, got it. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually a misconception that a lot of people should know about. Uh, about yeah, explain The forest credits. Most people think that when they are purchasing a, a reforestation credit, that, that trees are actually being planted. In almost 99% of cases, it's just pro- they're just protecting a forest that was already there. Oh, wow. Which is... That's interesting. It's just an easy Depressing, way around it. And but interesting. It, yeah, it's an easy way to sell the story. But yeah. we're actually working with, or we're trying to work with a company, uh, Renew West, uh, down in Denver, Colorado. And they, they're doing something entirely different. They're trying to shift the market of forest credits and forest offsets by, by actually planting trees. And the way that they want to do that is... Now, for the past you know hundred years, forests have not been managed in the way that they should have been. Essentially, hmm. you have a national forest, and back I don't know when they started doing it, but let's say back early uh, you know nineties, eighties, seventies, just before the two thousands, they would essentially just contain and stop any fire uh, that would start up and start ripping through the forest. So, since they would do that and they didn't manage the forest and actually remove all that tinder. There was just all this tinder and tree density that just built up to an extreme amount. So now when a fire happens in, say, California, like uh, this last year with all these terrible fires, the fire doesn't just rip through the forest and then the forest doesn't just return 20 years, 30 years later like it's supposed to. And now the fire comes through and it is so hot and intense that it'll actually burn up all the seed banks, all the microbes, oh, all, so of, just dead, all of the life. Kills the soil. soil. Totally wow. destroys wow. it. Yeah. Just destroys everything on the land. So now it takes 500 to 1,000 years for that forest to return because it's that much Jeez. more difficult. Because, you know, like a sequoia tree, it needs the fire for the seed to open up and actually produce another sequoia tree. But these fires are so hot, they just burn them all up. Mm. So what they're trying to do that's a little different is find areas that are now just the life has just been destroyed in the soil, apply a soil amendment of sorts and actually go through and plant uh, trees and plant and reforest areas that have been destroyed by these fires due to poor forest management, Mm. which that's great. That's that's a a lot more positive model, basically. Mm hmm. I mean, it's the truest form of additionality. You know, it's your dollar investing in that offset is making that tree grow right. and sequester carbon from the atmosphere. Right. I, we, yeah, I totally support that model. And we're looking looking at different ways that we can partner up and get some investors to start actually buying up some land and producing carbon offsets by planting trees. Yeah. That's fascinating. I actually, yeah. I had no idea, like, because Florida, we don't have, like, a big fire issue in Florida. There's so much damn rain. There's every so day. Every rain single every day. day, right? <laughs> yeah, every single day, 3 to 5 o'clock, gallons and gallons, buckets, man, buckets yeah, of water. It's raining right now. 
Is it really? <laughs> no surprise there. Uh, yeah, we. I, I wasn't very knowledgeable about fires and, and, you know, we care about hurricanes in Florida. And, and I come out here and I hear because of how dry the winter was, I guess, how little snowpack and stuff that were at like high risk for like a really bad fire. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, fire is a lot scarier than rain. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then now that I hear, too, that because of poor management, it's killing basically viable land. That's that's pretty... Mm-hmm. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. And it's only going to get worse because they actually... I just read this stat recently that um, there's going to be 60% less snowpack over the next 30 years. Jesus. In, in Colorado, specifically. Yeah, that's going to hurt the economy, obviously, because of how big skiing and stuff, how much tourism is drawn in because of skiing and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, just, just to clarify, snowpack you're referring to is like layers of snow. Yeah, it's the depth of snow that is um, sitting on retained. the mountain range. Yeah, that's retained, I suppose. Okay. I don't know the exact definition of snowpack, but yeah, it's big, decreasing it's, rapidly. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And it's not good. Yeah, I think it's the uh, amount of snow that uh, sticks around because then – you know, you go up, you can look at the Rocky Mountains right now and they're full of snow and that's what provides all the, the spring runoff and partially into the summer and allows all the agriculture on the front range and allows all of the, the trees and ecosystems to to kind of get a jump start in the spring and now they're not going to get that, Yeah, you know, in 30 years or so. So, yeah, I mean, you know how bad ski, the ski season was this year. That's <laughs> my gonna... first time, my first time I could finally try to learn and get better at snowboarding. And, uh, most of the days were like slushy. And if it wasn't slushy, it was early and icy. Mm-hmm. Um, still fun. Cause I'm from Florida, so I'm not picky, but you know, not the best. Yeah. Not the best. So that's going to be every, on average, <laughs> every single ski season in 30 years. Jeez. Cause we were at about. 40 to 60 percent we kind of teeter-tottered between that this year yeah yeah we did a we uh and in, in one of our segments we we talked about colorado snowpack and stuff in an uh earlier episode i think during oh, nice. the winter yeah um yeah so that's one of the projects i have another one. Oh yeah yeah keep too. going yeah um <clears throat> so another one talking about decreasing snowpack this is kind of related uh to water and carbon is we're We're just kind of getting started on this, but we've partnered up with Boulder County, MADAG, the NRCS, which is is the uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service, and Slow Money um, and CSU to work on this project to figure out how do we get farmers to adopt regenerative practices. And So what do you mean by that? By regenerative practice, I mean instead of destroying the land or releasing carbon into the atmosphere due to certain practices or using excessive amounts of water or being really resilient to to drought or rapid temperature changes actually using practices that make the soil and the crop more resilient to weather water use um, and also absorb carbon into the soil versus release it Mm. so it's actually been been said that a third of atmospheric carbon right now floating around is due to the invention of the plow. What? Yeah. Holy shit. So 
when you know the fr- the frontier was essentially just torn up and turned into cropland uh, over the past hundred years, when you go through with a plow and uh, essentially expose that soil to the air, the soil organic carbon is then off-gassed wow. and released. And when that happens year after year after year. On a year, huge scale, too. On a huge scale. I mean, the Midwest is enormous. Yeah, it's all um, farmland, right? It's, it's pretty yeah. much all, yeah. It's actually been thought that due to the invention of the plow, it may have prevented us from going into another ice age. Because <laughs> oh it jump-started the climate. <laughs> so April. crazy. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's probably... that's. It's, Insane. The funnest of facts. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very fun fact. Plowed our way out of the ice age. Plowed our way. Pretty badass, honestly. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so regenerative practices. Uh, yeah, they make you more resilient, essentially, and they absorb carbon. So, instead of plowing, if you adopt no-till and use a grain such as Kernza, which is a perennial grain, a perennial wheat, versus a traditional, you know, monoculture corn crop that you have to go through and plow every year. Mm-hmm. It's it's better for the environment because you're not disturbing the soil. And when you don't disturb the soil, I mean, a whole bunch of things happen. Um, the soil has better structure, so it can infiltrate water at a faster rate. So as you're seeing these intense rainstorms come through and say dump three inches of rain in one hour. Um, if you go into, you know, South Dakota or actually a lot of these regenerative practices are happening, you can see these two fields side by side because most people split their farms up in, you know, square formations, extreme rain event. You'll see one field covered with just pools of water. You can literally see their soil being washed away into some runoff ditch. And then the guy next door that's been practicing these, uh, different, different practices for, usually three years is kind of the amount of time that it takes to really shift and see the positive benefits. That soil could absorb up to nine, you know, inches an hour of water. And that thing will be totally, no puddles on it. You could walk around just fine and it'll actually hold the water for a significant amount of time. You could go out there, you know, two weeks later, dig your hand into the soil, get down a few inches and that'll be moist. That's so And it'll be soft and you should be able to dig your hand into it. You shouldn't need a shovel to go through and plow up this crusty, platy, crumbly, yeah. light, you know, that's soil that you're growing in. beds are, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a problem that's <clears throat> happening all over the place. So, yeah, the water infiltration, the water quality. So when you adopt these practices, you don't need the excessive amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus and other uh, you know, agrochemicals and herbicides and such, because it allows the microbes that actually are supposed to do the work for plants to return to the soil. So kind of the whole way that, that plants operate is there's all these minerals in, in the dirt mm-hmm. and whether that be in, you know, different rocks and different soil structure, uh, throughout the soil and plants can't access those minerals. Uh, they can't break them down and they're just not bioavailable. But different fungi and mycorrhizal structures can. So what will happen is those different fungi will break down the minerals and then transfer those to the roots of the plant. Mm. And in exchange, the plant will trade carbon with the mycorrhizal network that are below the plants. Wow. The you know fungi will eat the carbon and... 
it'll then break down and turn into a form that is more permanent and will stay into the soil. So that's ex- essentially how the exchange happens is, you know, minerals go to the plant, the plant gives off carbon, and you're essentially just storing sunlight, right? right? right. You're just turning sunlight into soil mm-hmm. in a larger, more complicated way. Right. But it's um, it's just actually restoring the way that nature nature intended yeah and when developed that developed over millions of years basically yeah exactly so when those microbes are actually doing their job you don't need all the excess phosphorus and nitrogen and all these different herbicides that you that typically so would yeah because the microbes crowd out all of the different um the different bacteria and different uh other stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, essentially terrible diseases that can come through and ruin a crop. Oh, right. Um, yeah, it yeah. just creates balance, you know, right. like balance right. on balance on your skin. Like if you go through and use alcohol pads every day, you're not just destroying the bad bacteria, you're destroying the good bacteria. Right, right. So it needs to create balance. And that's what uh, no-tilling essentially does. So does this work for or, or can it work for like any type of crop? Because I was, I was definitely, you know, my dad gardened and stuff. So we, we're always kind of around it. And, you know, tilling was always the first step, right? You got to loosen the soil up, you know, so yeah. you can, so you can, uh, <laughs> of course, shit. if you don't do that, you can't plant anything. You can't, nope. <laughs> that was, that was basically how I, how I always kind of learned it. So, um, is it, is it limited to like certain types of wheat or whatever, or, or is it, you know, can work for any crop it, from, to my knowledge, it can work for almost any crop. People are doing this anywhere from a small garden, like in your backyard to large scale, 10,000 acre, you know, broad acre farms. Like corporate, yeah. You can, you can do it with anything. Um, so no till is there's like, it'd probably lower your cost too in the long run, especially if you don't have to, you know, invest in all those fertilizer or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's the whole benefit of it is right. if you adopt the three main Bottom line, principles. Yeah, exactly. There's there's three main principles that'll get you there, which is cover cropping, no-till, and rotating your crops. So instead of just doing corn, soybean, corn, corn right, soybean right. every other year, you do a diverse rotation. So you could do a five-year rotation that is never the same, which will essentially trick all of the um, – all the different pests that could come in and different diseases that could destroy your crop. Um, cause they can actually learn the rotation and then their seeds will act, or their eggs and such will actually change, uh, follow it and follow, basically. yeah, follow Jeez. the crop. Um, so if you adopt those three practices, you, for the first three years, you're going to have what's called the no-till penalty. Okay. There's a transitional period. There's a small of. transitional okay. period where you're going to see, anywhere from fi- around 10 to 15% less yield for about three years. But after not, that... Yeah, that's not a super big price to pay, honestly. I thought it would have been higher. Yeah. That's I mean, when you're talking... Farmers are on pretty thin margins most yeah, of the time. So that, that can be the difference is the mm. 10 to 15%. But if you can eat that cost for three years, after that, you're going to see yields that are just as good or slightly better. We're seeing mostly... They and lower it. costs, so yeah. But yeah, that's the key piece is you're getting yields that are essentially the same, but your cost, you know, you might have a third of the cost that you once had because you're not driving your tractor out there 
five different times to spray all those herbicides, to spray the phosphorus, to spray the nitrogen, um, and yeah, essentially uh, run up your bills because that's what's most expensive usually mm-hmm. is the the different agrochemicals. Labor hours, their labor the hours, machine wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Dude, and that's so what gets stupid, farmers. man. We are so stupid. The, yeah. the ideas that develop and like become the the common practices. Why does it seem like so often it's the dumbest shit? Like we could have probably been a lot further ahead in like electric cars as well if it weren't for you know oil industries kind of pushing down. Yeah, it's all uh, about money. It's it you, is, you know yeah. if we're gonna make money doing this, we have to suppress whatever's going on over here, and it's probably very very similar. Um, so that's, so that's yeah, so one project, the project that we're working on itself is calculating the amount of carbon that is being sequestered depending on the practice that the farmer is implementing and then actually verifying that carbon and then selling that as a carbon offset. So that's pretty cool. say we go in and we give a farmer a thousand dollars to start cover cropping and no tilling their crops. We can use a tool called the Comet Planner which was developed by CSU, the NRCS, and the USDA to calculate the amount of carbon that was sequestered due to the no-till and cover cropping and then actually get that verified. Uh, that's kind of the next big hurdle that we're, we're struggling with right now is figuring out how we want to go about verifying that the, the carbon is in the ground and that it will stay in the ground, that the farmer will continue these practices and such. Mm-hmm. And then selling that as a carbon offset, I mean – to me, it sounds it sounds like the future of the carbon market. That's a I good mean, story too, man. It's tangible. People can go there. They can meet the farmer. They can eat food. They can eat the carbon that was <laughs> sequestered by those practices. And it's just uh, really, really easily under- understood. You know, most it is people don't understand methane capture. People understand that your food is grown on a farm. Right. (laughs) It's so basic. It takes us to something so essential to life too. Yeah. And then on the water side of it, um, which is, you know, as we just talked about the snowpack decreasing, if you take your soil from 2% soil organic matter to 5% soil organic matter, which in the numbers that we're seeing would only take five to six years of these practices, you can double the, ability of your soil to retain water Hmm. it's a no-brainer now you have less cost on the water side too especially with water rights and water leases being an ever-increasing issue on the front range with less water it's not just here but obviously like across the country there's water issues Mm -hmm. damn it's everywhere so this seems like a really hands-on down-to-earth solution yeah and and it contributes to so many different things too that's what's awesome about it yeah and then we're even thinking about down the line once this is up and really running by next year throwing it on the blockchain you know nice nice making it sexy making it making it modern right Mm -hmm. that's that's tight Mm -hmm. and it'll solve a lot of the the inefficiencies in the market right now um for example right now when you have a an account with the climate action reserve and they're holding your carbon offsets and then you go to retire them. They charge you to have an account every year and they charge you to retire every offset. It's just a bank just sitting there collecting money just to have a couple of numbers on their books. <clears throat> yeah. Well, they're on the blockchain and now we don't have to worry about that. And, right. and you know that every carbon offset that happened is actually retired and it's not being double counted. So there's actually right. a few different organizations out there already doing that. So thankfully when we hop in, 
it'll already all be set up. Won't have that's to worry awesome. about that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so that's that was a technology that you know when it blew up and everybody's investing in it and stuff. Nobody, or not nobody, but most of the people didn't understand what the utility and you know blockchain technology was. Why am I investing in like you know all these different cryptocurrencies and so forth, right? But um, I why I left some money in it is because there's real value and that can come and will come and will continue to be explored and in that so mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to hear that i guess it's it's already kind of being used in in a way to cut out you know wasteful middle middle men yeah I guess. like let's get more let's get more dollars to the projects right essentially right. let's just make the system more efficient yeah because that's ultimately you know that's how you're going to remove, remove more carbon from the atmosphere so right that's exactly. the goal you know we actually have one more project yeah no go keep going about. All right. So, so yeah, this next project that we're working on, it's taking the the competition out of the energy industry. So right now, essentially the energy efficiency engineers and different companies out there, the solar distributors uh, and wind providers and carbon offset companies are all competing for the same clients. They're all competing right. for people that want to reduce their emissions, reduce their energy use, etc. Essentially, whoever gets to that client first can win that battle, whether it's carbon offsetting or putting solar on the roof or being more energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Historically, carbon offsets were way cheaper than solar to actually reduce your net emissions. But now, solar is actually at the same price and even cheaper, um, not than carbon offsets, but than energy efficiency, um, which is kind of a weird situation to be in, right? It's like, yeah. oh, we can we can invest in energy efficiency, LED bulbs and stuff, or we can just throw a ton of panels on our roof to compensate, and that'll actually get you a better ROI in some areas in the country, depending huh. on how cheap you can get your panels. Right. I guess it's more of an upfront cost with those, right? Well, yeah, yeah, much yeah. more of an upfront cost. Uh, but what we are doing is we're actually partnering up with Boulder EE, which is Boulder Energy Engineers, and Namaste Solar. And we are going to be offering clients, mostly commercial to start, possibly residential. It's, we're just trying to find a scalable way to do it. And offer them a package where they can increase or you know decrease their energy usage through energy efficiency, install solar on their roof, say 80% of the 100% uh, capacity that you could put on your roof or backyard, and then carbon offset the rest of your usage. So actually creating this funnel where people are going through and doing it the right way and reducing their carbon emissions the right way. Starts with energy efficiency, you then right, install yeah. renewables, you should then carbon offset the things that aren't really reasonable to change, like your natural gas right. um, or your gas-powered car for now, because it's too expensive for most people to, to you know shift over. Mm-hmm. Um, so the package is essentially just going to be, you're 100% neutral from the start of when you enact this service and enact this contract, except the allocation of where you're receiving 
your different carbon benefits shifts over the years. So say the first it's year, broken up you're talking of. 70% offsets, 20% efficiency, 10% solar. Then you're shifting to 40% offsets, yeah. 30% efficiency, 30% solar. I like and it. you just slowly shift down until you're using less, less offsets, ideally maximum maximize solar yeah. and maximize your efficiency. Right. Um, and that's going to be different for every client, depending on whether they have a ton of roof space, maybe right. they're in the city and they're going to use mostly carbon offsets. Uh, maybe they are in the country and they want to have a huge solar array and actually start selling their energy to their neighbors and such. But right. essentially it's just a one-stop shop. We'll set up all the contracts. If you need a new HVAC system, you know, we got your guy over here. Um, if you need to install more solar capacity, we have your solar provider here and we're just creating a one-stop shop service to do carbon neutrality the right way. Right. Yeah. Nobody, I, nobody it's, else. It's is like a holistic right approach. Yeah. I, I love that because it's, you know, people, like you said, that are in, in competition could be cutting each other's throats, yeah. uh, are deciding rather like, well, we're working towards the same shit. So let's figure out how to kind of maximize our effectiveness. Exactly. It's awesome. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, it just came down to a business decision too. You know, it's and now I'm competing with solar and energy efficiency, which is hard to compete with because that's really what you should be doing. You shouldn't mm-hmm. always be using carbon offsets as a crutch to keep emitting into the atmosphere. Right. And that's like you said to, to make up for what's what you can't. What's like kind of unavoidable with mm-hmm. with you know or unpractical maybe. Yeah. So really, just trying to do it in the right way and. I think it's going to make a lot of sense to people getting involved with this too. And we're going to come out with a, a certification of sorts that you can receive by actually going through with this. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. I think it's going to put a lot of these other certifications to shame. Yeah. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Or hopefully inspire them, right. To to step step their their game game up, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. That would be ideal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so hoping to get some commercial clients on board within the next year and give it a good, you know, test run, kind of iron out the kinks, start in Colorado, ideally then have a model that can then scale. Um, you know, a new organization would have to be, we'd have to create some type of a top tier organization since right now, all the companies involved are just located in Colorado and only operate within Colorado, which is kind of another neat feature. Yeah. Um, just another thing made Colorado awesome, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just stepping it keep up. Keep piling on the, what makes the reasons. Yeah, the reasons. <laughs> yeah. 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 There are many reasons. <laughs> well, that's sick, man. I mean, yeah, all those projects, it sounds like you, you guys are definitely, or you're definitely heading them in the right direction and, and being ambitious. Like you said, coming up with new, new ideas of how to approach the problems, which is what's great. Um, but, uh, we're going to transition now to, to trying out these two truths and a lie. Okay. Um, so what does this involve? So this, uh, I'll let, I'll let Avinash explain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, um, we're going to give you three facts, right? And this is how the game's played. Uh, one of the three facts is actually a lie and you're supposed to kind of figure out which one is not true. Of those three facts. Um, oh so, man! Here yeah, we go. Three rounds to figure out, you know, which one's false. Yeah. Essentially. All right. For round one, um, here are your three facts. 
the first fact is there are currently no national limits on carbon pollution from power plants. Right? Your second fact is every dollar invested into clean energy creates approximately three times as many jobs as the same dollar invested into fossil fuels. And then the third fact is the clean coal industry is growing by 37% every year and provides safe, clean energy. Um, I'm going to go with the, the third one is false. Walk, walk us through. I shouldn't have reacted. I definitely... I, no, you did not, you did not give that one I was going to say, you, you probably that know. I made a pretty, pretty big face. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't think the coal industry is is growing at all. And and what was the last part of it that it provides, uh, it provides safe and clean energy? Yeah, no, it doesn't provide clean energy. You're burning coal. I mean, but you can you, clean coal. Yeah, you can call it whatever you want. Throw a scrubber on it, whatever. You're still burning, burning coal, just destroying all those dead dinosaurs. It's a terrible. It's a really an ethical issue, you know. Fantastic <laughs> word. They're, they're really clever with that. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that, uh, well yeah. proud of the round one there. <laughs> yeah, round one. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> How many rounds are we playing here? Uh, That's we'll two out of three. three. Rounds. Yeah, uh, cool. I'll let Colin do round two, actually. What we'll do, too, is we'll do... Uh, if you get two out of three right, we'll do a little donation to the Carbon Fund. Oh, make it interesting. good to hear. All right. Pressure's on. Um, all right. So round two here. Uh... The first fact, power plants account for almost 40% of U.S. carbon dioxide emissions from energy. Um, Fact number two, Boulder remains committed to the Paris Climate Agreement and is at the forefront of transitioning to 100% clean energy. Uh, And lastly, Boulder is rated as the cleanest U.S. city for ozone air pollution by the American Lung Association. I'm going to say the third one is false. So walk, walk us through. Uh, well, I know that fracking is a huge problem around here. Really? Um, especially with the upcoming bill. Uh, they want to put a limit on how far a new fracking facility or drilling station has to be from the nearest residential home or maybe businesses as well. I'm not sure the specifics, but they want to make it 2,500 feet. Uh, cause right now I think it's a thousand feet. Uh, cause it has some pretty drastic health I didn't effects. I didn't realize there's so, fracking out here, honestly. Oh That's... yeah. There's a ton of fracking. They, um, they put up these big walls and actually hide where the, the drilling area <laughs> nice. is. It almost, it just looks like a building from far away. You don't even know that fracking's happening in there, um, but you can see the ozone. If you hike up green mountain or, into Chautauqua, and then you look into the valley, it's hazy some days. Like, I was riding my bike. I was thinking it was fires or something on hazy days. I don't know. I don't know. Some days it is. I mean, <laughs> there definitely, you know, is smoke that rolls in. Yeah, I guess but, it depends. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was riding my bike uh, with my friend Peter a couple weeks ago, and we're getting up to the top of Flagstaff, and it was a pretty hard ride. And we're both, like, coughing a little bit. I'm like, what is up with this? Is it the altitude? Like, I've never... Never been uh, 
coughing before after exercise usually i feel pretty good and he's just yeah. like that's just exercise cough i'm like what the hell is exercise <laughs> cough Dude, i've never heard exercise of that cough. he grew so he grew up here and that's always been a normal thing huh yeah you work out hard and you get the exercise cough i'm like jesus christ that's um that's just not the way it's supposed to be so was i right on that one or you never confirmed uh, yeah you were totally right okay actually. damn so <laughs> Nice, yeah. nice. Gotcha. That was impressive. <laughs> Two out of three. You want to play the, the third round? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Let's do it. All right. So here's double or nothing on the donation, right? Yeah, double or nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's gonna right, be a penny. So we didn't tell you how much, so we're yeah, not. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll do. I'll do a personal donation, actually. <laughs> All right. Um, the first fact is Boulder emits nearly 1.6 million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere each year and then the second fact is the average american household uses about 900 kilowatts per month and the third fact is the average home in boulder uses 11 percent more electricity than the national average those i think kilowatt hours right or kilowatt hours yeah, yeah. sorry i can't read you're good hmm this is a tricky one. I'm going to go with, you know, I'm just not sure how much uh, carbon is being emitted by Boulder, the city of Boulder. I would expect there to be more emissions from people in Boulder. I feel like people just have a little more money and are maybe a little more careless about leaving their lights on. I'm going to go with number two. The uh, 900 kilowatt hours is not the average usage. Um, that's actually a fact. Uh, um, the ah. made-up one is the average home in Boulder uses 11% more electricity. It's actually they use less electricity wow. in Boulder. Yeah. Did you see how much less? Just out of curiosity. Uh, uh, 11%. Oh, it was 11%. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> cool. That's, that's interesting. I wonder if we just have more efficient homes or... Yeah, maybe that could, my, my that thinking was wrong things. there. Right, they have more money, so they yeah. have more efficient homes. They are not more reckless. Maybe yeah. they are more reckless. They're just that much more efficient. That's that's honestly <laughs> probably it. That's probably the the logic there. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, you got you got two one. out of three for sure. So um, I'll be making a donation from from my pocket because Alda does have money. Cough, cough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks, Colin. Appreciate it. Well, you're doing cool stuff, you know. Happily, I'll happily support that. Same. Um, but yeah, so uh, that that was fun. That I was like, fun. I like those. Uh, the the truths and the lie are always great. Um, but to to close it out, there's basically a couple questions that we always like to ask off the cuff and, and kind of get your your impromptu response on um yeah they're they're like easier things but um you want to kick off with the first one yeah yeah so the first question is how would you explain sustainability to a three-year-old see that's oh that's kind of the problem is i'm shifting from my mindset from sustainability to regeneration because sustainability isn't necessarily the best right way to put it but um the way I would describe it to a three-year-old is... Could be four or five as well, you know. Four or five-year-old, yeah. <laughs> but we'll stick with a three-year-old. Stick with three, okay, okay. Um, is if you... I would probably take them outside to say they're like my three-year-old, and we go into the backyard, 
and I would take them out to the garden and I would, I would rip up some weeds and spray some, uh, you know, herbicide, like glyphosate right killer. Kid. So I, I would rip up, <laughs> rip up the weeds. I would spray it, spray it on the dirt. Um, and, then dirt right, okay. and then right next to it, I'd rip up some other weeds and just leave it alone. And I would say, look, this is, this is the earth right now. The one that I sprayed the chemical on. And then the one that I had just left it, I would say, this is how the way the earth is supposed to be. And then we would go inside the kid, kid three-year-old would probably forget about it for a little <laughs> while. And then we'd go back out a week later and they would look at those two little spots and I would say, look what happened. The one where I sprayed, where I sprayed, there'd be nothing there, but the one that I ripped up the weeds would have been totally replenished and green. Right. And I would just explain, this is the way that people are acting right now because they're, they're not thinking about their actions and this is the way that we could be acting that's really good yeah i like that wow yeah i think you're the first one that actually tied it to like a a tangible kind of example and said you know i'd show them something because i think you learn a lot better that way especially especially a three-year-old yeah it's kind of hard to keep their attention for more than 10 seconds but you have them on the back ripping up weeds and they stop paying attention you spray them in the face with a herbicide a little bit (laughs) hey hey look over here That's that's a good one. Um, so uh, the next one that we kind of like to ask is, uh, what are what what would be like one kind of easy like sustainability tip that you would recommend people try, or something that you do in your own life, maybe that mm. that you want to throw out there. If I were to have one sustainability tip, it would not be in the conventional sense of turn your lights off compost, anything like that. It would just be to try to spend more time outside. Yeah. Whether it's just going for a walk, going, going on a big epic hike, going on a bike ride. Maybe you start commuting to work, uh, by riding your bike or walking or whatever it may be. I think just spending a little bit more time outside is what's going to make you ultimately change some of those deep rooted habits that you have that are harming that place. Cause if you're more connected with it, you're going to care about it a little more. So I think 100%. it maybe starts with the principle of, of caring about it and building that connection before you start just having this, you know, habit of composting that doesn't mean anything to you because you're not connected with what it's positively affecting. Right, the why you're doing it. You gotta you gotta be connected with the why. It's gotta be the why. Yeah. yeah. It's always the why, not <clears> the not the, the what. Right. Yeah. That's that's great. That totally totally like my philosophy too is like just like a person, right? If 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 it's a family member on the line or somebody that you don't even know at all, you're a lot more likely to try to protect your loved one, right? And if you love the earth, you're gonna do something to try and protect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. Yeah, That's... yeah. <clears throat> Do we have any more ones? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what's um, your most wasteful habit that you're willing to admit to? Mm. I'm really bad at resor- sorting my recycling. I need to get better at that. I'm not sure 
which plastics I can recycle and what I can't sometimes. Oh, yeah, that, that is a local thing, too, depending on our fi- or whatever facility Yeah, what here. the facility can handle. So that's one thing I definitely need to educate myself on a little more. If yeah. uh, When I'm in doubt, I just throw it in there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, they'll sort it out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but if I threw it in the landfill, I know where it's definitely going. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my most wasteful habit for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's pretty, I don't know. Dude, I, I, I knew people in college that hadn't even, like, they didn't recycle, period. They just didn't. Ugh. I was like, what, you didn't, like, you didn't know it existed? Or what do you mean? They're like, I just didn't, we didn't do it. I was like, what do you mean? I don't I don't know what you mean you don't do it. It's how you do it. That's how you throw stuff. You don't just throw it all. Uh, yeah. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Sorry, that just so really crazy. frustrated me out yeah, of nowhere. Yeah. I was like, how did I know? How did some of my best friends not not even know? Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to educate everyone on that. It's just not a thing everywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. People in Texas coming up here and, what the hell, I got three trash cans to throw things in. Yeah, it's like, all right, dude, there's pictures on them. You'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> exactly. There's three trash cans? Why? Compost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. recycling compost oh. and landfill. I'm only used to trash and recycling, so I wouldn't know what to do with the compost one. We had we always had a paper versus plastic and glass and metal um, back in Gainesville. So I thought it was interesting that you put it all in one bin here. I was like, Mm. "Mm, that makes it a little easier, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you guys must must have a bunch of methane out there if you're not composting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta go get after that methane. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was that is that it? Is that all? Is that all yeah, got? I think that wraps up our whole thing. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on our podcast. Yeah. And uh, I guess last you or have uh, Colorado Carbon Funds, social media and stuff like that to plug. We can always add it later, too. Yeah. Um, you can find the uh, CCF at coloradocarbonfund.org or coloradocarbonfund.com. And also on Facebook, if you just search it our page will come right up Perfect. Um, but if you go on our website you can subscribe to our newsletter and we're we're in the process of putting together an editorial calendar to be more consistent mm-hmm. to uh, get that content in our yeah, in our newsletters so yeah you should go in there sign up and you'll get uh, all the latest info on those projects that I talked about that's great and uh, I guess the last thing very last thing to close out on um any more general just closing thoughts that you have or things that you want to put out there philosophies you know life lessons um poems life lessons uh i read this i read this great book um endurance i don't know if you've ever read that by alfred lansing um but it's gone in the journal there's this one this one quote by ernest shackleton which lately has just uh, been in my head a little bit more uh, as I've been working a lot um, on this on this project and on these different projects and trying to see you know some results uh, just remind myself of the small wins but uh, yeah. it's by endurance we conquer and just really reminding myself that it's every day just you know taking one little step upwards and then looking back a year later can be a, a huge difference in your life. I mean, even a year, a year ago, almost today, actually today, a year ago today was our last day in our apartment that we had in Vermont. 
Um, And just thinking of all the things that have happened since then, like huge road trip, moved to Boulder, uh, had an internship, been working the CCF, met all these amazing people and just been able to learn a lot over the past year. And you don't really see it in the moment that it's happening. You almost never see it in the moment that it's happening. But when you look back on it and really zoom out, uh, just gives you a good perspective so i just gotta keep grinding have keep that grinding. have the endurance you know and see see where this can go and, and i'm excited about it i'm just yeah just gotta put my head down and work awesome know? so awesome just stuff. to just to remember to to zoom out and, and see where you've come from and see the trajectory that you're on i think that's that's really important perfect well that on that note uh thanks again brand for for joining us and uh remember everybody protect your wild thanks again everyone for tuning in this week i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and remember if you want to hear more interviews and help us grow and get better please subscribe leave us a review and share it with your buddies you know your pals and your friends um otherwise check out our website at aldalifestyle.com to see what else we got going on and we'll catch you again next tuesday